Welcome to the Exploring Leadership Show, where we talk with some of the world's most forward-thinking, influential CEOs and other top business leaders to learn about leadership experiences and how they're building world-class organizations. Brought to you by Warrior Leadership. Now, here's your host, Spence Taylor. I'm so pleased today to have as our guest, David Burns, who hails out of Sulphur Springs, Texas. Uh, David is the director of HR and employee engagement at Grocery Supply Company, often referred to as GSC. David, so pleased you're with us. Welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, Spence. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to have you and just excited. Uh, we had the chance to visit a bit before and, and looking forward to a few of the topics that uh, that we're both pretty passionate about. Um, before we get to those, though, I would love to just give our listeners a bit of a summary of, of you, kind of a snapshot of, of who, you, who you are, what you're about, and maybe just some of the highlights of uh, what you've been doing and just kind of your, your history a bit, if you don't mind. Sure. So uh, I originally grew up in Florida, just south of Orlando. I'm a Florida Gator, and I was there about the same time as Tim Tebow. So I remember I think of my college years as uh, the way our school newspaper put it was, which was living at the center of the sports universe. And we we won two uh, football championships and a basketball national championship while I was there. Just was super fun. But part of my stay, I also studied finance, French, and international business, and that's taken me on a, a fun career. Of different jobs revolving around data analysis, cash flow management, contract review and administration for a defense company. And, and now here I am uh, serving about 800 hardworking employees in the uh, wholesale distribution business. We serve convenience stores across the, the South. It's interesting and challenging uh, working with a lot of blue collar uh, warehouse and workers and drivers that just work their tails off, especially now as June comes in and the heat picks up and um, just we have new challenges to keep them engaged and working hard. Well, wonderful. Well, I love it. It's great to hear some of those highlights. I'm curious, what was it that was the connection, I guess? Uh, Florida and Texas are not all that close. So how did you go from that experience of growing up and studying in Florida to making the transition to uh, Texas there with GSE? Yeah, it was, it was a very dear friend. Um, he's actually a, a best friend throughout college and and. During the summers, he had family around the Dallas area. He would come intern and back just after the, the financial crisis ended, we graduated. And it turns out that when the global economy was faltering, that nobody wanted to visit uh, Florida's beaches or visit Mickey Mouse. And so Florida's economy was just really troubled uh, during that time. He had gotten a job in Texas for one of his internships. And he said, hey, you should, you should come check out the, the business environment uh, in Dallas. It's, it's really strong out here. That's turned out to be the understatement of the decade. It's just, just been booming ever since. So I decided, you know what? I think it's time for a, a fun journey. So I packed up everything I had in my my old, old Camry and just moved out here and started looking for work. And it didn't take long until I found something and, and was off. And then through, through the same friend, I actually uh, met my wife. And uh, when we had our daughter four years ago, we uh, she pulled me. We decided we, we wanted our daughter to, to grow up near aunts and uncles and relatives and that brought me to the um, to the wonderful small town of Sulphur Springs, Texas. Well, spectacular! I love it. It's it's awesome. I really admire the fact that some of those big decisions led you to create a family, and then you made some additional big decisions to uh, make adjustments that were putting your family in, in a better situation. You could say just closer to family and and some of that. So that that's a what a great way to prioritize. I think that's very admirable. Thanks. It was um, you know it. I said it quickly, but there are a lot of, uh, it seemed like a thousand small decisions that got there. And I, 
had the pleasure of listening to former President George W. Bush speak, and um, and he had a lot of funny tales. He was really a hilarious and clever communicator. But the two things he kept coming back to on making decisions were trust your experts or surround yourself with experts and trust your principles and rely on your principles. And one of the principles we set for ourselves was that we wanted to work and serve where we live. And I found myself doing a lot of commuting throughout the Metroplex. And then even when we first moved to Sulphur Springs, um, I'd been commuting. I kept my job and kept commuting back for a while, which was awful. I was like a two hour commute each way. And that wasn't going to work. And so I, I slowly worked my way back until I was able to work and serve where we live. So we're, we're grateful for many, many small decisions that ultimately helped us get um, involved in with our principles. I like the way you put that, just the many small decisions, because it, it's funny when we when we try to summarize key events of the past, it, it's uh, just out of necessity. We have to kind of break it into chunks. Right. It's like this happened, then this happened, which led to this. But but really, it's it's lots of little micro decisions that get us to where we ultimately are. And anyway, so I think it's good to pause once in a while and and reflect on that, uh, that it's not like this big deliberate plan of like, I'm going to go to school here and then I'm going to get a job here and then I'm going to get a, you know, have three kids and then live here. And that's just not how life is. But you, you adapt as you go and, and make uh, the best decisions you can. So anyway, not to wax too philosophical on that, but I think it's an interesting principle there. Yeah, I think in his book, Atomic Habits, James Clear calls it voting with every thought and action that you do. You're voting for the person who you want to become. And so changing who you become is as easy as changing the smallest vote in your life. So you know how attorneys and other billable professions break down their billable hours into maybe a tenth of an hour. And so you can change what you're billing based every six minutes or so. And so you can break it down into increments as small as six minutes if you want to and think of your life as a billable project. And change literally who you become day to day after these uh, small decisions. I love that principle because it's very empowering. If you ever find yourself where you're you're stuck or frustrated or not completely happy with where you are, you don't have to think of it as this giant leap into some major different uh, person overnight or in the next few minutes. But as you put it, in the next six minutes, you can take one little step and then take another little step and, and to start to shape and, and evolve uh, your environment. So yeah, I, I think that's that's magnificent. I joke with my wife and we call it turning the cruise ship anytime we, we realize we're not where we want to be. All right, let's just start turning the cruise ship. And it's going to take a while. <laughs> we, we know it's intentional effort it's going to take to get the places we want to go. Well, I love that analogy. And I think that's uh, probably a nice kind of segue. Uh, a lot of what uh, what you are focused on, and it's even in your title as the director of HR and employee engagement. So an emphasis on that second part, employee engagement is one of those things that can, can feel. And, and the reality is it often is more like turning a cruise ship when you're trying to change, change the culture, improve employee engagement. Why is that such an important part of, of your role? And maybe just give us some context for, for that portion of what you do every day. Yeah, I think um, any of your listeners, I think, can appreciate that the workforce now is very different than the workforce of our parents. And um, even my own career, uh, a lot of my biggest leaps have been coming from moving to different companies and different roles rather than sitting in the same spot for 15 years and hoping my, uh, my manager retires in a timely Period. So, you know, the current workforce is finding a balance between a buyer's market as an employee, you know, finding the highest paying wages and best benefits available in a world where pension funds are have all but ceased to exist, except with few exceptions. 
So um, how do you attract an employee and how do you keep them and then build out the, the tribal knowledge, so to speak, that really helps you differentiate yourself from other competitors in the market? We, in our, in our warehouse specifically, we find that, uh, you know, we, we just need young, uh, well, we just need workers who can work at a fast pace, who, who can briskly walk vigorously throughout a long day and, and really walk as many as 12 to 15 miles in a single uh, 10 hour shift. So that's, that's a lot of repetitive hard work. And how do you, um, that's just what it takes to get it done. Now, what, we've talked a lot about automation, but the reality is it is very, very cost prohibitive uh, in a low margin industry to bring in the type of technology it would take to make a big difference. So for now, with the economics where they are between wage availability and, and, and capital expenses for automation, we say, all right, how do we make the best with the workforce we have? And, and engagement is a big way to do that. I wouldn't say that we've mastered it by any means, but it's something that we're intentional about. That, like I said, it's the principles that help us align our decision making with how to treat employees. And we know the metrics behind how, how much it costs on average when we lose an employee and how long it's going to take to train a new one. You know, we're ironing out our onboarding process, even to the point where you know, we stopped it during COVID, but where we would start allowing warehouse employees to shadow us for a day. We would say, listen, like, you know, we, we think you're going to be a good fit. We, we, we think we want to hire you, but we want to give you a chance first to turn us down and say, no, it's not for us. So we would, we would pay them a couple of hours equivalent of wages to just sit and shadow and watch what they'll be doing. And actually, that's kind of something we pulled. Um, you know, I, I heard a story about the U.S. Army, and they're just, they are one of the largest recruiters and employers in the United States. And just to maintain that the marching army we have is, is a tremendous amount of recruiting annually. So uh, one thing they found, though, is that they're getting a bunch of new recruits in who, yeah, glory and honor and, and I want to serve my country, these great ideals. They would get to boot camp and say, man, like this mud in my face stinks. Like I'm tired. <laughs> I miss, I miss my pajamas and my comfortable house. <laughs> and so they, they were realizing a big turnover rate or high dropout rate. So they made a small pivot, which was during the I guess, recruiting phase. They're a lot more realistic about the challenges, like saying, listen, like you're going to get pushed and tackled and hit. You're going to sleep less and you're going to be screamed at a lot. It's going to be really hard. Are you sure you want to do this? And they just paint a very clear, vivid picture of, of the challenges that were ahead of them. And they found that their recruitment rate stayed approximately the same, but their retention went much, much higher. Uh, and those candidates had a much better expectation of what they were getting into. So, uh, you know, some areas of our warehouse are climate controlled uh, to protect the food, but other areas are not. And they get cold in the winter and hot in the summer. And, and so we want to say, listen, this is what you're getting into. Are you sure this is for you? Now, if you do this, you're going to be serving many, many families in many communities across our country. The mom who is desperate for a clean set of diapers because they're out and it's the middle of the night or somebody who's, you know, hosting a bunch of friends and family and, and ran out of milk or juice, something or, or beer or wine. And they need to pick that up from the, the convenience store. Like you're, you're serving these people in a quick, quick, convenient place when they really need just a quick help. And so do you want to be part of that? And, uh, and if you do, this is what it's going to take. And if you do, we're also going to provide these wages and, and these sets of benefits to help you grow and, and develop your life. But, you know, does that does that offer interest to you? So that's kind of what engagement looks like. Um, one of the ways that we're trying to go deeper on that now is how do you build trust? And from an economic scale perspective, you want as many direct laborers as you can and as few support positions as possible. The support positions don't really 
move the product forward or out in the customer's hand to complete the sale, but they make it possible. What we're finding is that in a current environment, employees tend to feel more like a, a cog or a widget in a big machine. They feel isolated. You know, 30 years ago or, or further, it seems like there were more social clubs outside of work that employees would, you know, work their eight to five, get out, leave at five, uh, and go to these social clubs or participate more in the community. And now that's just not the case. More and more people go home, they're tired, they turn on the TV and eat a meal and go to bed, you know, while looking at their phone or TV or some device throughout the evening. So how do you, how do you take and recreate that social environment in the workplace while also staying effective? That's kind of the thought that I've been uh, pouring over for the last two years or so. And I don't have the answer, but those are the thoughts that, that run through it. And I think one of the things we're looking at is how do you, how do you create pods or communities within work groups where you find intentional time where they can get together that, that doesn't create an overly adverse impact to production speed? Because our, our warehouse, we have a set start time, but it's an open end time because you just, you have to get the last order out, um, so you don't delay the truck. So that's, it makes it a challenge, but anyway, those are things that we're, we're certainly looking at. There's several things that really stood out to me just in what you've been talking about for the last few minutes. I especially love uh, a couple, two things. One, setting clear expectations. Again, it, it, you've really done a great job of highlighting that it, it does no one any real service to paint an overly rosy picture of what a certain experience will be like. Again, whether that's boot camp, which I've been through and <laughs> it's definitely not rosy and comfortable. And then again, in, in the context of your world, with a warehouse worker, things like the, the climate and hours and no, no firm end time and you know, just some of these things. Not that you want to dissuade someone, but you want that, want them to have a real picture of what it will be like. And I love how you do the shadow for a part day where, where you let them actually kind of walk in those shoes for a little while before they make that formal commitment. And you, and your team goes through the paperwork and, and everything administratively that's needed to, to make that happen. And you also mentioned the metrics, uh, just the importance of knowing your metrics. Have you found an effective way? There's a lot of companies out there and even like Gallup as an organization, one of their main initiatives is to try and measure employee engagement. Have you found a good way to measure it uh, kind of in your specific world there? You know, turnover is is frankly one of the most direct ways. Um, We, you know, we track production, which is how many pieces per hour can you basically put in a tote box and seal to be delivered to the customer? We have different departments and we found that one person will have different or varying speeds depending on the department they're in. So we, we do an incentive pay program. So the faster you pull pieces per hour, the more you get paid. And there's another department. So that's kind of, those are people who are kind of on their feet going up and down aisles all day long, effectively in a, in a something a little bit wider than an airplane aisle, but effectively picking groceries like you're going on a grocery list. So that's our, are what we call a repack or single selection order selector. And a, another part of the warehouse, we have kind of bigger box or case size products, and they're on kind of little mini buggies with, with trailers behind them. And we found that it wasn't just how many items you get, but what is the distance you travel on a given order? We have an almost 500,000 square feet of warehouse space, uh, including cooler and freezer. And it's a huge, huge space. We found that employees became demotivated when they would get an order that had few products and a long way to travel. They'd get excited if they had a lot of products in a short space to travel. So mm-hmm. we really backed into what was the total distance they traveled, how many slots did they go to, and how many pieces did they pull over a 12-month period, and, and try to balance those so that uh, 
as, as much as possible. You wouldn't get motor too high or too low based on the order. You say, oh, I have an order. It's going to pay about the same. So I know that the more pieces I pull, the faster I go in general. Or the faster I can get to the next aisle, the better. And then if they can get done sooner, then the drivers can get loaded sooner. They can get out to their stop sooner. Customer gets their product on time. Everybody's happy. So we're trying to go to the earliest point in the product in the process and, and optimize that. So we found that fairness or equality is a big differentiator for, uh, for engagement. Do, do people feel like the work they are doing is fair? Or are they being treated equally? We look at how vacations are sorted out because you don't want your entire team going on vacation, you know, on the same holiday. Like for us, the summer is a huge time. You have a lot of families traveling. So Labor Day, Memorial Day, those are Fourth of July are huge, huge times, but everybody wants that time off and it would just be catastrophic if everybody left. So how do we, how do we fairly dole out who gets vacation during those times that when they're peak times? So equity. And we found that it's not just, are you, are you disciplining fairly? But if you give out rewards in ways that are perceived to be unequal treatment, that's, that's a huge no-no. That will cause unrest as fast as anything. Even if, even if you give everybody like an extra day off and some people get two days off if, you know, for doing X, Y, and Z, if there's a part of your workforce that feels like that's not the correct scale for how that, that second day off should be doled, you'll get a lot of unrest that way. Saying that's not right. It's not fair. I worked so much harder than, than he or she. So why are they getting it? I'm not. And so you have to be very, very careful and think very thoughtfully about what you're doing. And there's a, a kind of mental model called second, first order and second order thinking. And there was a, a can't even tell you the person, but a, a biologist, I think, who said that the ramifications of a choice can be so widespread that if you're only considering the first order impacts of your decision, then you might as well not make the decision at all. Um, so you've got to think about the implications of, okay, if I, if I give one employee, if I give my entire department a day off, how's that going to affect the support department? How's that going to affect departments down the chain? You know, how's that going to affect my ability to get direction out? On the period we allow them to use it, so we're gonna are we gonna manage the periods that they use the flex day? If we do a variable scale of, you know, somebody gets one, other people get two, you know, a few people get three days off, you know, is that gonna be perceived as fair? And is there gonna be arguing or fighting that slows down production while they're at work? So thinking about the the second and third order effects of your decisions when you apply it globally to a workforce like my position tends to is is critical towards creating fairness, equity, and effectively making sure employees feel like they're in a fair environment that they that makes sense to them. That's that seems to be as important to engagement as anything. Well, I, I love that. It's so well said. It's got me thinking. I think it's something that's definitely a, at least a piece of uh just important food for thought for any leader to look beyond just the immediacy, you know, the immediate impact uh, of a certain decision. And I mean you've shared so much good stuff in our, the last few minutes here. As we look toward kind of the, the action piece, is there one thing that rises to the top that you would issue as a challenge uh, to our listeners as we, as we conclude here? Yeah, I would say find the people whose, um, whose lives you want to change and set up, set up some regular inter- interval of quick catch ups. it might, I think weekly is a really good one and make it for five or five to 15 minutes and basically go with the goal of, of asking two basic questions. What are you working on? So what's what's taking up your time these days? How can I help you with that? I think if you do that, uh, I, I think that goes along. And you're going to get a lot more than just conversations about those two topics. So when I started my role in 2019, I 
our company had been around for not quite 75 years. And I'm the fourth person in my position as director of HR. Uh, fourth person. So my predecessor, I was fortunate that they were around for a couple of months and let me, uh, you know, while I got up to speed with this, this company. And, you know, I was excited about coming in and looking at the processes and reviewing how they do things. And I was just going to call that. And she, she pulled me aside one day and she said, listen, it's going to sound cliche, but it's true. She said, they don't care what you know until they, until they know that you care. And so I'd say those 15 minutes, those, those weekly catch ups are going to be critical for them, for you learning about them. What's their favorite flavor of ice cream? What do they order when they go to a restaurant to drink or, or eat? You know, what, you know, what are their kids up to? What are their life goals? You know, what are they going to do when they want to retire one day? So knowing them is going to be a big way uh, to knowing that they care. You know, one of our, we've, we've got a, a warehouse supervisor who's just, uh, he's, he's hilarious. He's just, uh, comes off as this old crotchety guy, but his, his team will follow him anywhere. And I found out that he, he grabs breakfast with him every morning. And then it's at the point where I think people actually bring him a cup of coffee. He's just this old crusty kind of warehouse supervisor. He sits with them for coffee every morning. He sits with them during lunch every day and he makes sure he knows what's going on with their team and they love him. He's, he'll never be the CEO. He's, he's not going to be an, an office manager director. It's not a skill set. He, he knows the warehouse. He knows what he does. Uh, and his people really know that he cares about them. So to the extent that uh, you can make sure your people know that you genuinely care about them, man, you're going to, going to transform their life and make them much more engaged and really. As an employee, if you think about yourself, if you start thinking about like, okay, I, you know, if we're having a baby or a life change, I need to make more money and this company over here is, is offering more. Do I take it? If you have a good manager, you're going to feel guilty about leaving them. It's like you're breaking up with a friend and that is, that's not something money can buy. It's, it's a, uh, an emotional barrier to exit that helps employees stay longer if, if they don't want to leave. Now, conversely, we know that one of the biggest reasons people leave is because they're managers. So, so that goes yeah. a long way too, but yeah, that's, that's what I would say is set up small, regular checkpoints, usually about a week, 15 minutes and do that. You know, a good scale of how many people you can actively manage is how many people can you reasonably meet with on a weekly basis and keep in touch with. And I think a lot of times our finance departments tend to overstack teams to minimize middle management overhead. I think that's a real challenge today is, is to make sure that they are capable of actually engaging with their team meaningfully on a, on a regular basis. Well, that's great. I, I love your story just about this gentleman who has breakfast with his team and things. I just, I was thinking kind of circling back in my mind to the, the community principle that you talked about, just the importance of building community and, and just that you've been really pondering on that. I just had the thought that, you know, real human connection is the beginning of community building. You can't get to that community feel and, and to create that without that real human connection. So it can be something as simple as grabbing a cup of coffee or a donut or whatever on the, on the way to work together. Uh, or just, it doesn't have to be anything overly formal. Uh, it just can, can be that, uh, opportunity to connect with other people. So I love that. I love your invitation and just thinking about those check-ins, just the, the finding people who's, uh, as you put it, whose lives you want to change and set up regular intervals of, uh, just that habit against going back to James Clear, kind of the wisdom of James Clear seems to be woven into, <laughs> into the conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but just those habits that lead to the, the, uh, the type of relationships and really loyalty that I think will, uh, will help 
people find more meaning in what they're doing, not even just from an HR standpoint, from you know, kind of that, that other half of your role, so to speak, but uh, just from a human connection standpoint and feeling like you have a, a place to be that you belong and, and can make a difference. So anyway, so much good stuff there. Really love what you've shared. You're so generous in joining me today, David. So grateful for you. If people want to connect with you, what's the best way they can do that? Sure. Uh, LinkedIn is probably the best way. At David Burns, you can search for GSC Enterprises. Um, is the name of our company, our grocery supply company. Uh, that's where I'm most active and um, I'd love to connect with, with your audience. Wonderful. Okay, great. We'll make sure we put your LinkedIn uh, link in uh, in your the show notes for this episode. And uh, just so grateful again that, that you've uh, taken the time. So thanks, David. Thank you so much, Spence. It was a pleasure. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Exploring Leadership Show. To receive a free company health assessment that clarifies your company's greatest strengths and biggest opportunities to improve, visit warriorslead.com. We'll see you next time.